0: Welcome to Judaism Demystified, a podcast for the perplexed. We are joined by Shannon Newsom. Shannon tells a story of her life growing up as the daughter of a pastor. She was raised as a missionary who targeted and converted many Jews to Christianity. Her story is about having the courage to live according to truth, that which goes against everything she was taught. Find out what her advice is to others who are in a similar situation, managing family dynamics and all discover what made her turn to Judaism and abandon the cult she was raised in, with the help of Rabbi Tovia Singer. Now as a Jew living in Israel, she has dedicated her life to protecting Jews from the aggressive missionizing that is growing at an alarming rate across the country. Well-funded evangelical groups are a double-edged sword for Jews, since they support Jewish survival in Israel, but often work to convert us. John Hagee is one famous example. Shannon raises awareness about Jewish evangelism, its danger to the Jewish people, and encourages safe and consistent boundaries in the interfaith relationships of Jewish communities. How do we enforce those boundaries while maintaining strong relationships with our Christian friends? A lot of Jewish blood has been spilled over centuries at the hands of our Christian oppressors, so naturally Jews have welcomed this new iteration of Jew-friendly Christianity, which makes this so complicated. Our organization, B'nai was responsible for exposing undercover missionaries who infiltrate and live outwardly as Haredi Jews such as the Elk family, and explains how she helped shut down 24 7 televangelists missionizing on the biggest cable TV provider in Israel. To say her story is breathtaking and inspiring is an understatement. So without further ado, Shannon Newsom. Thank you so much for joining the Judaism Demystified podcast. I wanna start by saying that we're very grateful for the friendly relationship Jews enjoy today with Christians and hope it stays that way. We're not interested in proselytizing or converting anyone to Judaism. The purpose of this discussion is about counteracting and defending ourselves from the aggressive missionary recruitment of generally uneducated Jews. So now that we got that out of the way, the first question is, you're the daughter of a former pastor turned Noahide. You were raised as a missionary who converted many Jews to to Christianity. Can you tell our listeners about your journey that led to your eventual conversion to Judaism? And what was your family's reaction?
1: Oh, first, thank you for having me. Uh, Yes, um, I'm a Gare. I was born to an evangelical Christian family. My father was an evangelical minister uh, with the Assemblies of God. I, like most evangelicals, was trained from a very young age to be a Christian missionary to bring Jesus to the world. Uh, the Great Commission is a scripture in, in the New Testament. It's from Jesus himself, it's a commandment that every evangelical Christian follows. Um, it's taken very seriously. I took it very seriously. Uh, it's uh, to bring Jesus to the entire world. So from a young child, I was taught to do this uh, with a world focus, and that was uh, telling people that they are with sin, everybody is with sin, and that we're not perfect, and we can't possibly stand before a perfect, holy God in our sinful and blemished, blemished condition that we needed forgiveness, and the only way to get forgiveness was a sacrifice. Uh, just like you, you learned in the. Um, to me, it was the Old Testament that a sacrifice was required for sin, and that Jesus was without sin, and he, um, he was the ultimate sacrifice. And it's because of him that our sins are forgiven. And without uh, that forgiveness for sin. Um, we can't have a relationship with God. Uh, And you're also taught from a very young age that hell is a very real place. And it is like an eternity of torture and lake of fire. And it's uh, pretty scary. And you're terrified of that from, you know, from a child. So uh, it's, it's something that uh, it comes from a place of, of love and concern for people. Nobody wants that to happen to their friend or somebody that they care about. And it was the same when my focus changed to the Jewish world. As an adult, that focus took a turn more towards Jews, which was a completely different type of evangelizing. Um,
0: was that your own choice or was that the choice of... Like, let's say your father told you to focus on Jews.
2: Is there a specific aspect of turning towards Jews in in Christian?
1: there yeah. is. i was I was uh, raised in an evangelical Christian church. It was a denomination called the Assemblies of God. And when I became an adult, they had taken on a uh, a mission and changed their focus more towards Judaism. And they were learning the jewish traditions they were getting away from the more uh what they were saying were pagan aspects of christianity and getting rid of that and there was a focus on learning the hebraic roots of the christian faith and trying to follow christianity as as jesus followed christianity um and of course along with that was with was the proselytizing part um when you walk into a messianic synagogue, which is what my uh, church had morphed into, you don't see crosses. You don't see um, the typical things that you see in Christianity. You see, you see an Aaron, you see a, a Torah that they bring out. You see a Bema. Um, the men are wearing a Talit. a tallit. Um, They're wearing tzitzit, you know, often they have their, you know, belt loop, you know, tied to the belt loop kind of tzitzit, but they're wearing kippot. They're, uh, you'll see a giant menorah. They, all of the aspects of tradition and the icons and symbols of Judaism, you'll find, you know, in in a messianic synagogue, it, uh, all the appearances of being Jewish, but uh, it's, it's not. It's actually, um, it was something that was invented in the 70s. It was, the Messianic movement was in, um, birthed in the 70s. It was a response to, it was a response to the problem of not being able to convert Jews to to Christianity, and there was a uh, there was a whole convention in Switzerland. You probably spoke to Rabbi Singer about it. He he talks about the uh, how the messianic movement was birthed, and one of their uh, biggest problems was the cultural connection that Jews have, and that most Jews, whether they're secular, uh, religious, um, you know, all types of Jews they strongly identify as a culture and no matter what, they don't want to convert and they don't want to not be Jewish. Uh, even Jews who don't know anything about Judaism say, uh, I was born a Jew. I will die a Jew. And, um, they feel that very strongly. So Christianity had to come up with a way to get around that. So they did. And, that was at the beginning it was called church planting. It was cultural church planting. Um, and it was learning the culture and the traditions of whatever that is that they've also done it in other cultures, Hispanic cultures, um, Russian culture they've and in Judaism, they learn the Jewish culture and they take on the symbols and icons so that, it's more palatable for a Jew to accept it. It blurs the lines and uh, makes a Jew more comfortable because a Jew's not comfortable going into a church. Um, Jews generally don't like to hear the word Jesus Christ. It doesn't invoke any warm and fuzzy feelings. So, <laughs>
0: Yeah, But but was there, is there a specific type of Jew that you targeted because obviously if you're targeting like an Orthodox Jew, it's, you're not really gonna you know, be successful for the most part. Mm-hmm. But are you targeting, were you targeting more like uneducated Jews reform or was it like anything goes?
1: Um, when I first started, it was the more secular, the reform and conservative, the ones that I found at the JCC. I would join classes at the JCC. Um, I found them pretty easy to reach. Uh, Mostly using the techniques that I had learned uh, in when I was, you know, any anybody else with that very world focus. Um, as long as I would talk a little bit about the Jewish traditions and use a little bit of a Jewishy language, uh, I fit in, and they would listen, and and they were open to hearing it. Um. As I got a little more brave,
2: <laughs>
1: I. Uh, I tried to encounter some Orthodox Jews. I was I was actually obsessed with Orthodox Jews. I loved watching them. I loved that they uh, they seemed to constantly uh, have some sort of connection to God. They were always saying a blessing. They were it was I just couldn't imagine how somebody so religious. Somebody who's doing all of these things, praying three times a day, uh, saying a blessing over every little thing that they do—how can they not have a relationship with God? Which to me, that was Jesus. I that um, I just couldn't imagine how somebody so religious and so committed didn't have—you know—that that was meaningless. So I thought it would be beautiful. To give them that relationship with Jesus, um, I see, and set out set out to do that because I felt that that was what God wanted from me. Um, I had I had grown up knowing that God wanted a relationship with His people, and that uh, the Jews were blinded, that there were scales over their eyes. And until those blinders were lifted from their eyes, they couldn't possibly have a connection with God. And I wanted to help bring that about. So I set out to convert Orthodox Jews. And that wasn't easy at all. Um,
0: the other way easy, like, did you have a good success rate um, before you got? To I the- did.
1: Um, and in Christianity, you're taught to target the most vulnerable, the people who are needy, um, the, uh, the very young and the very old. When you volunteer for Meals on Wheels, uh, you're in touch with elderly people every day, taking those meals to them, and they are lonely. They are dying of loneliness, and they will talk about anything, and, uh, and they're not always completely with it. So they'll say yes to everything. And that sounds great. And you can uh, share Jesus with them very easily wow. and they're pretty open to it. Um, so- and very, very young, uh, you know, how many young people, especially teenagers are not struggling with some sort of identity, um, trying to find themselves always feeling vulnerable. I'm not good enough. Um Uh, I'm not accepted. I don't fit here. I don't feel that they're in your teenage years. uh, You're confused and you also want to act big and like, I'm, I'm open to everything. And I want to like discover things for myself. And I want to think for myself and um, being open and is sort of, it's cool to be open and think of new things and out of the box and um it's also there's a um,
0: rebelliousness there also right a little
1: bit um, of rebelling and this this is something i'm not supposed to be doing um so that's exactly what i'm going to do um
0: and, And, and christianity appeals like the whole idea of jesus it really appeals to people who are troubled because you know people who are let's say there's a lot of born-agains who struggled with alcohol and they struggle. You see that in whenever people are, um, you know, recovering addicts, they usually turn to this because for them, it's like this, it's like a teddy bear almost. It's a, there's, there's this feeling that like all the sins I've done and everything bad that I've done, all I need to do is just turn to this one God and it doesn't really require a lot of effort. It's just, it's kind of just pretty like, much. yeah, pretty much. So there is an appeal to it, obviously. Yeah, of course, of course.
1: There is, but it appeals to people with with very low self esteem and somebody who has hit rock bottom or is struggling with some sort of um, desperate situation is is often when they'll find Christianity or somebody's able to reach them or just somebody who plain needs to be loved and um, wants to be accepted and have people reach out to them belong. Uh, there's it's a terrible terrible joke. But there is some there is some truth to it. They say when you go into a church, you uh, when you open the door, everybody's welcoming you. They ask you if you've had, if do you have a meal, do you have somewhere to be, do you need a place to sleep, do you need a wife. They they take care of you, and everybody recognizes you and is friendly, very opening, welcoming. there's a terrible joke that the first five words you hear when you walk into a shul is you're in my seat.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's great. It's bad.
1: But in many ways, it's true. We, we, do, we do need to step up our game. We need to be uh, more compassionate and outreach and, and recognize each other and yes. treat ourselves a little better.
0: Sure, yeah. for sure. Especially
1: for sure. as Israelis, we're not, we don't have the greatest reputation for
0: uh, <laughs> <No>. being
1: friendly <laughs> and social and polite.
0: But I think this has a lot to do with you know the, you know continual exile and you know the constant threat of death and uh, constantly being at war. That Jews in general have our bs radar on and we we're skeptical by nature and guard is up we challenge and, we're, and the torah says that we're stiff-necked people you know we're <laughs> we, we don't this is why it's also why we don't proselytize we, we, we say you're sitting in my seat because we're not really good right. in in you know we don't we don't we're not really looking to turn other people on per se you know but but I, there's a lot to what you're no, saying and
2: 100 percent, you're 100 percent right though 100 yeah. percent. that's something that you know we need to, to work on collectively 100 yeah. yeah. percent 100%. So you were saying that you you uh so you started to set your sights onto the orthodox group.
1: I did, but that wasn't as easy. Um because the orthodox knew uh knew a lot of the scriptures, you know, and I had I the appeal uh, the emotional appeal of Everybody's sinned and needs forgiveness for sin. That wasn't working at all with them. And I uh, learned that there was a whole new way to evangelize religious Jews. And that was really um, stepping up the game with uh, uh, incorporating culture and language and um, making everything you say and do and, and, and look all of it, making it more Jewishy, and I also had to learn the text. I had to learn all of the prophecies that fill fulfilled, uh, all of the prophecies in Tanakh that that Christianity teaches is fulfilled by Jesus. And there's like there's like some three hundred something. So I decided I was going to memorize every single one and. Uh,
0: but you had to learn the Hebrew also, or- I didn't
1: quite learn the Hebrew. I would like I knew I would learn in the English what what it was. Um, but you're using and like I would, uh,
0: King James version still, or were you actually right?
1: But I'm speaking to I'm speaking to English speaking Jews, and it. I would not quote from the New Testament. I would quote from what to me was the Old Testament, because if I brought the New Testament, they for sure weren't going to accept that at all. But if I said, you know, Jesus is in your Tanakh, you know, I can prove that Jesus is the Messiah through your own Bible, your Tanakh. If we go through it, I can show you that Jesus is bouncing off of every page. And that challenge worked, and they would listen to me and they'd say, Show me. And I would show them in Tanakh the prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. Um, but this, a lot of the ones that I encountered uh, weren't accepting that. A lot of them were ready for me. They made fun of me, uh, they, um, they challenged me quite a bit. Uh, they seemed to have cue cards like answers to everything that I brought to them they uh, would make accusations like that I was taking things out of context or that I was mistranslating things or that uh, things didn't you know that doesn't exactly say what you you say that it means in in Hebrew so I kept hitting a brick wall with them and I Realized that I needed to learn a whole lot more to in order to reach these Jews who, I mean, religious Jews, a lot of them, they study Torah all day long. They were definitely way ahead than uh, way ahead of the game, more so than I was. So I went back and um, I decided to answer the what their challenges were, which was they were, verses that i was taking were out of context so out of context means i need to not only memorize the one verse that i was i had memorized but i need to know the whole chapter and i need to be able to present the context that jesus had fulfilled that prophecy not just the one verse Um, the ones that were mistranslated i decided one by one i'll learn those verses in hebrew and show that it's not mistranslated and that Jesus is in the verse, even in the Hebrew. And uh, I didn't do that very successfully. I uh, I started to learn the context and I got very confused because the con- when I was reading it in context, it didn't exactly fit the narrative that I was presenting anymore anymore. Um, I was having trouble myself coming to terms with it. And uh, so I picked out some of the most difficult ones, the ones that I thought that I wasn't uh, having so much of a problem with. I took one to one uh, Orthodox Jew and asked, you know, this one's pretty solid. You know, it's, it's a chapter and if you read it to me in the Hebrew, you'll see Jesus in that. And, uh, he did, he read it to me in Hebrew. And, uh, if you, if you read it, it, it really does sound like Jesus. And, uh, this Orthodox Jew became very upset. Um, I could tell he was, he was irritated. Uh, I thought that I had had him. I thought that he saw Jesus in that verse. Um, and he decided. He said, "I can't help you anymore. This is this is really becoming a problem." And I I thought, you know, he's going to go back to his rabbi. You know, I I know he's uh, he's going to listen to his rabbi, and I know that I knew that Orthodox Jews listen to their rabbis, and their rabbis are constantly telling them to you know stay away from the stay away from this. And one of my lines to get them to look at it was very much like. Uh, You know you approach any rebellious person your rabbi doesn't want you to look at this because your rabbi doesn't want you to know the truth which also worked
0: um you had some success you're saying with
1: with i i had some success in challenging and getting them to look at it with me and getting them to help me with the hebrew or uh um at least look at it they would uh, but they were still coming at an, coming at me with answers. But there was this one that couldn't answer me anymore and didn't know how to answer me, so he gave me a tape set back when there was tapes, a <laughs> set tapes, and that was Rabbi Tovia Singer. Um, and I thought that I'd hit the jackpot. I thought this is it was a counter missionary. And it was all of the, it says it was Judaism's response to Christian missionaries. So it was all of the responses that they were giving me um, in a tape set, something that I could take home and one by one learn and tear apart. And uh, I thought that was great because this is the guy, right? This is the guy that they're listening to. (laughs) And this is like, it's It's like the playbook from the other team..
2: Yeah. So
1: I thought it was great. So I, I did. I set out to uh, counter this counter missionary, and I thought it was going to be a piece of cake. I could do it at home. I wasn't in like a position where I was being harassed. and um, I'll do it, and then I'll go back to them. And uh, as I went through each of the things that Rabbi Singer presented, I couldn't, I couldn't counter a single one of them. Each one of them fell apart Um, and piece by piece, my, uh, my whole faith was, you know, coming undone. It was, it was like pulling a thread and uh, the whole rug was just ripped out from under me. And it was, uh, it was traumatic so that you asked uh, how that came about. That was that was how that came about.
2: Um, Before, did, did you ever did you ever consider taking um, Rabbi Singer's points and going to like a priest or like a like a Christian pastor. scholar or pastor or whatever to see if they can give you a satisfactory answer? Or were you? I like did. Them? I was in
1: I, I was like in a that. missionary training class at the time. I took it to uh, I took it to one of my classes. They didn't appreciate it. Um, and the pastor there told me that, you know, you have to believe in faith. Hmm. And I said, this, but this doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. You know, God doesn't make sense. Um, and there are things that we just believe and question in Christianity. It's, it's very much not, not like Judaism in that way. You're not supposed to question. And if you question, you lack faith and, I was as committed as, I was as committed as you could be to my faith and, and trying to uh, follow through with this mission of bringing people to Jesus. So to me, when he said, you lack faith, I found that offensive and, and hurtful. And um, I don't lack faith. This just isn't making sense. And he couldn't explain it to me. I went to a couple of other pastors. And the response was always the same. You know, you're looking at it from an intellectual uh, way, and you can't do that. You, you know, you have to believe in, you know, by faith, which didn't quite make sense. I said, well, if if it just takes faith, then you can have faith in anything.
2: Exactly. So my, I was waiting. Why, why
1: exactly <laughs> this? So. It uh, it continued to fall apart, um, which is what led me down the path of of conversion. Of course, I didn't I didn't go directly to conversion. I did go through a, a time period where I was very angry. Um, I felt betrayed by the church. I felt betrayed by God. Um, was there a God at all? Uh, does is is faith anything? Is is does God exist? Um, I was very angry. I think I went through every stage of grief. Um, and then I was sad. I, uh, felt like when I left the church, um, I no longer had my support system, my friends, my family. I, at the time I wasn't telling anybody I was doing all of this, you know, alone, which felt very alone. Um, and uh, it's, it, I guess it was, it was traumatic. It was like uh, I lost something that was like very precious to me. And uh, I had, I decided that I was going to angrily call this rabbi. So I called up Rabbi Singer, um, a, little, a little ticked off and and said i i get i get that this stuff is out of context i get that there's no god i get that uh all of everything that i believed is is wrong but could you possibly tell me that like maybe there was some purpose to something like maybe there was some meaning to uh to jesus's life did he exist at all did You know, is there some sort of historical Jesus that I can uh, understand? And his answer was, that's not really the answer you're looking for. You know, I I hear your question, but uh, you're trying to come to grips with the fact that Jesus is not the Messiah and you want to be able to file away Jesus you know, in a nice little way of um, how do I how do I uh, identify who he was and, and what he was in my life, but
2: closure, like in a way, like, huh? Like closure,
1: closure. Like yeah. like what what was this? And he says, but the truth is, if he's if he's not the Messiah, and if none of those verses prove that he fulfilled any of the prophecies and he's really not the messiah then nothing else matters you know none of this matters whether he's existed or not doesn't matter um which was it was uh, simple it, it made sense uh but it it didn't make me feel any better because i was still struggling with then that means there's no god and how do i as somebody who was so grounded in faith and so connected, and I do feel like God is there. How do I deal with the fact that there is no God? And he says, he told me, "You're you're totally wrong. You uh, you've just found out Jesus is not the Messiah, but God is still very much there for you. You know, the Tanakh is still there, the Torah is still true, um, and I realized that." In my upbringing, Jesus and God was one, and I hadn't I hadn't learned to separate them yet. And when I was able to separate that and say God was still there, and at um, at least the foundation of what I believed, the Tanakh was absolutely true, and that. I knew that it had been mistranslated, that it was taken out of context, and that I needed to learn it from the beginning, from scratch. Uh, So I set out to do that. And
0: And this whole time, did your parents pick up on this?
1: They were noticing things. They knew that I wasn't going to church um, or... For some time, they thought that I was like checking out the Jewish synagogues because I was still trying to convert people. Mm -hmm. Um, They noticed that I was taking on more of the traditions than I had in the past. My son, who was little bitty, four years old, was wearing a kippah and tzitzit, and um, I had started going through the conversion process, but wasn't telling them. When they came to my house, I would turn the books backwards so they didn't see any Hebrew, and um, I kept that up for a while. So you already uh, had a
0: family of your own. You already had children. I was
1: I was a single mother. I we had two children at home, um, little ones, and I uh, I kept that up until my father one time came over. Um, I'd been going through the conservative movement. I um, wasn't converted yet. So I uh, was attending a conservative shul on a Friday night. He was coming to my house and I had not made it home yet and realized that I had left everything out on the table, all of uh, the different Bibles the and the uh, Hebrew the translations and and Rabbi Singer's work and my notes, I left everything out Um, and he was going to find it. And I was terrified. I knew as soon as I walked in, it was, I was going to get a lecture. Um, My father's a very military type man. He's a a police officer, a preacher, which is a very disciplined strict uh, type personality so when, when I came in, sure enough, he had everything and he was looking through it and said, we need to talk. So I uh, sat down with him and he said, he noticed that I had been dressing differently. We're eating differently. Uh, we're behaving differently. And it's obvious that you're getting involved in a cult. So I not, not exactly, but I do have some questions that I I need to I need to ask. There's a lot that I'm going through, and I've been going through it alone. So, uh, you know, I'm sort of relieved that that you've uh, found this, and maybe we can talk about it, and maybe we can learn together, and maybe you can show me some things. So uh, we started doing that. And I showed him some of the things that I was looking at. And just like my pastor and teachers um, that I had taken it to before, he he couldn't answer them. But unlike them, he did not say, you have to believe blindly. And with faith, He he was honest and said, these are serious questions. And I need to look at this myself. I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to answer them tonight, but we'll come back to this and I'll find out the answers and, and we'll go through this. Um, I thought for sure that was going to buy me a week, uh, two weeks, because, gosh, Rabbi Singer has, like I think it's 24 audios and they're like an hour each. It was like so, a lot to go through. Uh, so I gave I gave it to him and he went to bed. I went to bed. Of course, uh, to me, that was my whole life felt like it was sort of exploding with my father finding out everything I was doing. And um, when he really gets into what I've, what I've been doing, he's going to find out that I have flat out rejected Jesus. And that is huge. And what's he going to do when he comes to, to the realize that I don't believe any of it anymore and that there's no possible way. To answer these questions without rejecting Jesus completely. And in his mind, I'm going to go to hell. And this is like the worst of the worst. So I didn't sleep because I was like pending doom. Um, <laughs> and I could hear in the other room, the rabbi's voice. Uh, he was listening to all of those audios. And every time the rabbi, you know, would bring out a specific point, I was, I was like holding my breath. What's he thinking about that one? And how's he going to take that? Uh, So that was hours. And at three o'clock in the morning, he came knocking on my door and asked if I was awake. And I was of course awake and he came in and he just sat on the edge of my bed and He didn't say anything and he was staring at the wall in this like catatonic state and just like, didn't know what to say, I guess. And I I said, daddy, what's going on? He said, that rabbi was right. I said, what do you mean? He says, that rabbi is right about everything. I took my Bible in there and I tried, I tried to, uh, I tried to counter it. I tried to, I tried to uh, answer these questions and I can't, he's right about everything. The Jews are right. Wow. And um, I was shocked. He he said, the rug was pulled out from under him. I said, I feel exactly the same way. Um, and then he was confused and said, what do we, what do we do now? I said, well, that's what I'm doing now. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm learning from scratch. I think I'm going to do the conversion process. That's what I'm doing now. And, uh, he left Christianity. He's no longer a minister. Uh, like you said, from the beginning, he, he did choose to become a Noahide. I chose to convert. He told me that he was too old. He said, uh, this is too much for me he says it's enough for me to put it behind and say i don't believe that anymore that's not something i subscribe to anymore but i can't learn a whole new language a whole new culture a whole new religion um and uh thank god there's there's a uh B'nai Noach movement there's all different groups all around the world um I've come to know so many of them. They're beautiful, beautiful people. Um, and he identifies as a Noahide. He connects here and there with different Noahide communities. He's very supportive of me. Um, he loves the work that I'm doing. He comes out to lectures. Um, he's come to Israel quite a few times.
2: That is incredible. That is amazing. Amazing. That is just an incredible story. What about your mother?
1: My mother um, didn't take it so well. Uh, I explained it to her. Um, and she said she'd been that way for 40 years. She didn't want to change. Um, I showed her. I told her. I explained it like the matrix. Oh. I, I felt like I had been unplugged and, and saw the truth um and she said plug me back in i don't want it and um it's very understanding
0: that's actually a scene in the matrix it's (laughs) understanding not eating the the steak i I don't care if this is ignorance is bliss i want it you know i want the steak (laughs) right
1: (laughs) it's it's too difficult and when you have a very emotional connection which i know it's very difficult for jews to understand the emotional connection that christians have to this this figure jesus because in all reality it's it's an imaginary friend um but you're this is something you're taught from when you're a child and uh this is somebody who's one with you and you wake up every day talking to that person and going throughout your day with them and you believe that that person is with you through everything um and You focus your entire life, everything you do in in your day-to-day activities, everything you're focused on, you set your goals to be pleasing to God and you want to do what Jesus wanted you to do, Um, he becomes your core. And when you lose that, that's devastating. Um, And to my mother, you know hell was a very real place and I was going to hell and that was very difficult for her to come to terms with. Um and it wasn't just me. I was going to hell and I was taking her grandchildren with me. So that was that was hard. Um, Were
0: your parents parents married at the time or they were they're they're
1: divorced. Okay. Um there's also she uh you know she accused me of destroying the family with this decision. Uh, which I hear, I hear about, I hear, Bel, I, hear Bale, I hear ballet chuba doing the same thing, you know.
0: Um. Yes. But, but would, would your, was your father still married to her when he started his journey to become a Noahide? No, oh. they had divorced yeah. when I was very young. Uh-huh. This was after. This I was see, after. I see. Okay. Um, yeah. So before we get to the next question, I do want to know, because being, a you know, you chose to become a convert, unlike your father, And in many ways, there's a lot more pros of being a Noahide than being a convert to Judaism, because it comes with a lot of stigmas, unfortunately. Um, It should really be the most celebrated thing where, you know, somebody who's choosing to join the nation, they're they're under so much scrutiny. And, you know, there's labeling of children and all that stuff. You want to marry off your children. And why did you choose, you know, to go all the way? Because you're not required to.
1: Right. Both choices are difficult in their own way, Um, but I don't, I see becoming a Noahide as a very, very difficult choice. It's not easy. Um, But most people say, you know, when you convert to Judaism, you're taking on a whole different lifestyle. You're taking on, you know, 613 mitzvot you have like lots of commandments you have to keep you you have lots of day-to-day restrictions that you have to constantly live with there's so much that you can't do um you know why would somebody choose that when you could do anything you want and not be obligated to to anything why why would you choose that but in many ways um i feel i took the easy road that um, being a B'nai Noach is much harder than the choice that I made. I don't see all of the 613 mitzvot as restrictions. I I see them as, you know, wonderful blessings that Hashem has, has given us. Shabbat is an amazing, amazing thing. I don't see it as the day that I can't do Um, I mean, in any Orthodox Jew and somebody who really keeps Shabbat, you do a lot and women do a lot on Shabbat. It's not a day of like no work. It's a day that you focus on your family. It's a day that you focus on Hashem. It's a day that you separate from everything and really connect and, um, recharge it's. And I don't think anybody really understands Shabbat until you keep it, um, And then uh, there's the sense of community. You know, you can go anywhere in the world and you can find a Chabad house, you can find a Jewish community and there are people who are going to take you in anywhere like family. It's a huge family. Um, And your children, it's, you know, everybody helps everybody and everybody you know, raises each other's kids. And anytime there's a crisis, the Jewish community is is coming together. Uh, They're watching each other all the time. Um, And as a Noahide, you don't have that. You don't have that sense of community. They do have, there are Noahide movements, but there are very few, um, you know, worldwide, there's quite a few. But they're very spread out, and there's not a a community, uh, there's not a a church, a shul, a you know a place for them to gather. They might have yearly gatherings, you know, an annual get together. They might have some online things, um, but the world that we came from, Christianity, when you know, I was, I was in church almost every day. It was, it was an, a nonstop social gathering. So it was your social life, your, your emotional support. It was, it was everything. And you lose that sense of community and that family. And many people in a very literal way lose their church family and their physical, you know, blood family at the same time and feel very alone and to not have another community to latch onto it's it's devastating for a lot of them i i get a lot of messages of what do i do and how do i deal with this and it's it's a very painful place to be and i don't envy them at all it's it's very difficult
2: and i think what you're trying to say is is that like you know uh, by entering the jewish community and by taking upon yourself all the mitzvot you are viewing it as essentially like a window towards self-fulfillment that a Noah doesn't have the opportunity to engage in and the sense right. of, right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're part of something um, and some part of something real and that you have something that you play out and connect to every day of your life. We have, uh, you know, we live in tight knit Jewish communities where our, uh, our neighbors, our everybody's, you know, everybody around us is part of our community, our teachers, our doctors, our, you know, everything. Um
0: and have you dealt with other people like friends or relatives who actually also saw the light um and wanted to kind of get guidance on how to, you know, get out of it?
1: Um, in the work that I do, I I worked with Rabbi Singer uh, for many years. I've um, so I do deal with a lot of people who are in that uh, that stage of coming out. So I have lots of conversations with people. and then my story going public now, people who are, either my story triggered them to look at it themselves or, they were already looking and found that and then saw my story and, and connect to me. I, I get a lot of messages all the time asking what to do and how to handle things and um, how to handle their family. I do have uh, close uh, family friends of mine who I feel like are on the verge and um, there's an internal conflict in my own mind because I know the pain of losing family members. Um, I've watched, you know, a lot of times marriages don't survive. One of them discovers this and the other doesn't. And dealing with that, your spouse has rejected Jesus is, is, uh, it's huge. And some, a lot of marriages don't survive that. And it tears apart families. It does. Um, yeah. And that's difficult. So when I see it happening, I, you know, on, on one hand, it's like, they're going to find the truth and, and, and I sort of feel excited for them. But at the same time, I, I know the pain that they're about to go through and that this is not an easy path to take and, uh, and uh, love them and I would not want to see their family uh, torn apart. So there's a there's a little bit of an internal conflict of even of even leading somebody that's not quite there yet. I, I really try to make sure that they find it on their own and that it's not because I was uh, I was pushing that because that would that in my mind would lower lower us Jews to the same as proselytizing, and uh-huh. and uh, I don't I don't want to do that.
2: I understand that actually, you, you actually led into our third question, um, which you sort of answered. Um, I guess we can just recap. Well, what we wanted to ask you was that every religion has its fair share of cults, Judaism included. One of the signs you're in a cult is when you're told to shut off your critical thinking part of your brain. Your story is about having the courage to live according to truth, that which goes against everything you were ever taught. We wanted to ask you, what's your advice to others who are in a similar situation? The struggle becomes difficult when family dynamics are involved. You actually
0: just spoke about that right now. Yeah, and it's very easy to shatter people's world, and you kind of always have you have to give them some something else to hold on to. Otherwise, like you, like you said before, you were lucky to have Rabbi Singer, um, and yes. your 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 world didn't fall apart and collapse. Like your world was shattered, but you had someone helping you pick up the pieces and to give you something else. So you know the concern is that even Jews or in other cults, for example, uh, within Judaism, let's just say they like they might decide, hey, you know what? I'm seeing the truth somewhere else, but how do I how do I make this move? Because I have to give up so much. I've committed myself so much to an idea, and to a to a figure, let's just say. And now uh, you know I don't want to be left with nothing. So wh- how do you? And the same also with if you,
2: if you take a secular person, an atheist. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, it's, it's it, in all contexts, you know, we tend to, when we live our lives a certain way, we devote our lives a certain way, family, friends, you know, and it's very difficult, even when you are starting to come to realize that there's another path, which, which has, you know, justification and worth looking into. It's hard to move off because of the reasons that you right. have been sharing. Um, so uh, I think what Benji was trying to say is, is that, you know, uh it's not it's it should never be about you know tearing people's worlds apart it should be more about how how to build how to build a person's uh how to how to build a new right a person's conceptions right and how to it did
1: destroy my life it did blow up my world (laughs) but i am very thankful um, I would not have chosen another way. I feel very blessed. Um, the burden of, of guilt and shame and that low self-esteem that you sort of are indoctrinated in having in Christianity feels lifted. It feels like the most freeing thing, uh, which surprised me because at the same time, I'm like dealing with tremendous loss, but oh my gosh, I feel free. And only somebody who's been through that understands that. Um, and there's, I, I think uh, the most important thing is I don't, uh, I don't accept anything at face value anymore. I question everything, that's which is something I, a, I never did true before. Enough. Cause I kind of said, Oh, that's if it's truth. And there are uh, so many that we say are, are drinking the Kool-Aid, right. and and I don't want to ever feel that I'm doing that anymore. So I double check everything all the time. Um, and then in, and then living in Israel, you deal with that all the time. You don't know which media outlet to trust. You don't like it. You're constantly questioning everybody, and you read a story with nothing but questions and Is that true? And, and doubting everything.
0: So you're officially a Jew.
2: I think <laughs> yes. I think that Rabbi, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, have you ever heard of Rabbi Sachs? Rabbi Definitely. Yes. so we're huge fans of the, the late Rabbi Sachs, La uh, Shalom. He would say that what was his quote when recording faith? Faith is the ability
0: to live with doubt. Yeah, it's the courage to live with doubt. That was Absolutely. how he translated faith. Right. Because someone who says like um, I have complete faith and blind faith and it's unwavering. A lot of times that's just like, they're afraid to even hear the questions that challenge that faith. So, so they actually lack faith, Yes. but it's the people who are willing to fight through right. doubts that actually have a moon they actually have the true faith because they're like, listen, whatever the, whatever comes out of this, that's what's that's, I'm okay with that because you know what I'm seeking something, I'm seeking something bigger and more, and more true. So yeah. I'll take whatever hits I have to take. Um, and a lot, and it always ends up like, you know, the beginning is always hard and it's painful But then once you get past that hurdle, it's like everything, your whole perspective is so elevated and it's like better than, than ever, you know? So like really thank you for that segment was amazing. 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 He also has
1: a, uh, he also has a, a saying that I loved and I actually, before Benenu, named it after something that Rabbi Sachs said, and it was, it was about interfaith relationships and he said we need to treat this with dignity and we need to find dignity in our differences so it was did dignity and differences and so and as a way of like respecting each other and Mm -hmm. and treating each other with respect
0: of course there's definitely that and this is where like it's going to lead into the next question that i have because there is really like you're walking a tightrope when you're doing that because there are well-funded evangelical groups that are like kind of a double-edged sword for Jews. They support Jewish survival in Israel, but often work to convert us. So I'm not saying they all do, you know, but a lot of them do. Like for example, like John Hay Yee, uh, is one famous example. Um, as a former Christian missionary, you now raise awareness of Jewish evan- evangelism. It's danger to the Jewish people and encourage safe and consistent boundaries in interfaith relationships of Jewish communities how do we enforce those boundaries like while maintaining strong relationships with our christian friends a lot of jewish blood was spilled over centuries at the hands of christian oppressors so naturally jews have welcomed this new iteration of a jew friendly christianity uh, which makes things very complicated because we 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 don't we do want to accept their hand in friendship but at the same time like are they being how do we know like where where do we draw the line because they're gonna come in, let's say, fund a soup kitchen um, and we wanna welcome them, them and, and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna become part of our lives in a way, whether it's in politics or any, any you know, aspect of society, we're gonna be involved with them, especially in Israel. Where do we draw the line? How do we create these boundaries without like offending them and also while keeping the relationship?
1: Yeah, right. Um, we'll tell you they they tend to exploit their love for Israel, and their their generosity and their charity to the Jewish people, they exploit it um, to a point where boundaries are crossed and and red lines are are crossed uh, in proselytizing, and we allow it. We, we shouldn't be allowing it. We need to be strong enough to keep those boundaries in place and say, this is a red line that you can't cross. And uh, Christians are commanded from their own Bible to support Israel and, uh, you know, bless Israel. Um, what is that? Genesis.
0: Yeah, if you bless us, if you bless-, if you bless
1: Israel, you'll be blessed. And you curse Israel, you'll be cursed. <laughs> that is, that is a commandment that they are obligated to keep. No matter what, and uh, but that doesn't include proselytizing, and we need to be strong enough to put those boundaries in place and say, we appreciate your support, we appreciate you standing with us, you, we appreciate you rallying and advocating with us in in um, issues like anti semitism, and uh, you know feeding the poor, but we draw the line when it comes to proselytizing. And I, I don't believe that any, um, anybody who we know who has that agenda should have a, uh, should be a direct su- provider of support for vulnerable people.
2: Mm.
1: And we just, we just need to be strong enough to put those boundaries in place. And that is through our leaders and we yeah. need to hold our, we need to hold our leaders responsible. Are you and talking
0: about religious leaders who, or political leaders, both really.
1: Religious leaders, political leaders, because there are le- there are laws that need to be put in place to but, keep politi- these boundaries. There are religious leaders that are opening the door and uh, vouching for them, letting them in. So,
0: unfortunately, money talks. You know, hmm. in in both worlds, it in does. World, money,
1: money, ego. And the fact that we're we're in a rough neighborhood here in Israel, yes. we are surrounded by enemies, and a lot of people say we need all the friends we can get, and this right. is too dangerous too dangerous of a situation to uh, turn it away. We've also been trained by the Christian world that we need them. Um, we have you know big leaders. I know there's a very famous museum now which is uh, it was opened and run by mike evans who's a christian leader and you walk in and the first thing that you hear is benjamin netanyahu's voice and he says without without the support of christian zionists the state of israel would not exist today
2: and
1: that's the message for the whole museum and basically we owe everything to the Christian Zionists. We owe everything to the evangelicals, and without them we wouldn't exist. And that shouldn't be the message because we exist because God promised we would exist and and no matter what, He's going to protect us and it's him that it, we're, is responsible. Um, and Christians can, you know, choose to follow that verse in Genesis or choose not to. Um, they can bless or they can curse and that's, that's up to them. But I don't think that uh, that doesn't obligate us to allow them to cross these lines and convert our children and come after us like that. We've dealt with too many centuries of that.
0: Well, you moved, if I'm not mistaken, you moved to Israel in 2015 and there was a population of uh, Jews for Jesus like at around, I think you mentioned fifteen thousand, and now it's doubled since then. Right. Um, and and that that to me means that like we're they're clearly not doing anything from either either the religious or the um, political political. But they're not taking it as a threat because to them it's like what is this? it's a small number and it's not really so it's not a big deal. But doubling in six seven years is really scary. Yes. And um right. like so what are you doing because I, I I do want to get into um, what you did with Hot TV, um, the biggest channel in Israel, which is in well, nine, I think nine million homes in Israel. Right. They were going to have a twenty-four hour uh, event, evangelical channel, basically trying to missionize to Jews, and you and Rabbi Singer were very heavily involved in shutting that down. So that's one great step, but and we hope there's going to be more people like you. Um, but what what are we doing on like? you know, to preempt, like to preempt these things, not, not to react to these movements, but are we, are you guys doing anything to kind of stop it in its tracks?
1: Um, It can't be just you guys. It has to be be the, the entire Jewish world. And um, I've, I've been in the counter missionary world for, for um, 15 years now. And much of it has been behind the scenes, uh, creating reports, showing, trying to show Jewish leadership the agenda, trying to do what I'm doing now, but directly with leadership, meeting with government leaders, going to Knesset, um, and meeting privately with a Jewish agency and big Jewish organizations. Um, Before, I don't know if you know about the Jewish agency case, we exposed the Jewish agency was partnering with Christian missionaries. Before we exposed that case, I had been meeting with Jewish agency leaders, first with Natan Sharansky and then with uh, Herzog himself for five years and showing them that this organization that they were partnering with that was running Jewish agency programs are missionaries. You have to do something about it. And I guess they were just paying me lip service and and it would, you know, go away. And so going to government leaders wasn't working anymore. Um, I was frustrated. The reports I s- seemed to be sending were, were uh, going nowhere. I had been getting these newsletters from God TV and Ron Cantor about this new tv station that they had gotten a license for and i had been going to journalists i had been going to different people in the government and saying do you see what they're doing they flat out say in their newsletter that they're going to convert my nine million jews and you gave them a tv station and nobody was listening and it was during the time of covid um again, I'm going to credit Rabbi Singer. He edits all of his own videos. And uh, I said, I wanted to learn how to do that. Asked him what software he used. It's COVID. I'm locked in for, we're all like in lockdown. I'm going to learn how to edit my own videos. And I learned the editing software. And I said, you know what? I've been trying to get people to listen and see these, these missionaries and what they're saying. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this Ward Simpson guy who he had like several uh, twenty minute clips. I like took the most important statements that he said and put them uh, in a little five minute clip, and I put it up on the internet, and it went viral overnight. I said for six months, I'd been trying to tell people myself, trying to tell them what they were doing and they weren't listening. But when they saw it on video, out of his own mouth his own words hmm. that was powerful and exactly uh, he, was
0: he was saying that his goal is to convert 9 million jews
1: yes uh-huh. he said we've we've got the license to broadcast the gospel of jesus christ to all of israel and we're going to convert 9 million jews to christianity and he said it over and over and over again in different ways. He had other people saying it, "All of Tel Aviv is going to hell, and we need to bring this TV station so we can get the gospel of, of Jesus into every Israeli home and we can reach the children. And it was, it was uh, very shocking. Mm-hmm. And that was what, that was what people needed. They needed to hear it out of their own mouths.
0: And when they see so, the children, when they mention the children, you're not really allowed to missionize to children, according right. to right. right. So is that like the kind of the the uh, nail in the coffin that you that you relied on? Like, hey, you know, they're actually proselytizing to children. So we got to do something about this. Oh, that's the loophole. That had a
1: lot to do with uh, with the method and and why um, I guess they had to reapply for their license. and then in in the meantime, it was the public outrage that was brought about. So it was, and that is why I say it can't be just you guys. Um, and right. that is why I changed the way I did things. I no longer go directly to leadership. I'm, I've I found that that is useless. Um, and the only time, unfortunately, that our leaders are forced to do something or um change something is when there's public pressure and there's outrage mm-hmm. and it took it took everybody being very angry and everybody saying telling the leaders this can't happen and this is wrong
0: you're saying that that was why saying? it
1: was successful
0: really you're saying israeli like secular israelis too had a problem with it Or Muslim? every
1: israeli we also started a petition um against Hot TV, which was the cable provider that was carrying the stations. So when all of the subscribers of Hot TV threatened to cancel their subscriptions, if they allowed this TV station, Hot TV was also under pressure to uh, to cancel them. So that worked. That it was also the same way that uh, Jewish Agency uh, severed their partnership. You know, for five years, I'd been trying to show that they were Wow. That they were proselytizing. I found videos. Fortunately, the money that supports these groups doesn't come from Israel. Israelis aren't supporting these groups. They are beholden to their supporters in America, which means that they have to produce content and they have to go to the churches and talk about what they're doing in Israel, or they have to produce videos and talk about what they're doing in Israel. And when they do, they boast about what they're doing. And they describe the tactics that they're doing. They say how they're doing it and what they're doing it. And they show it on video. So when I get those videos that are not meant for a Jewish audience, they're obviously meant for their Christian supporters and show the these people are soldiers, and these people are going after Olin. Um, Then that was brought to the public, and Jewish agency was forced to sever that relationship.
0: Wow! You, you really, you and Rabbi Singer and your organization have saved so many souls. You know, you you might have some guilt inside. Oh, I I converted some Jews to you know Christianity, but on the on the in the big picture. What you've done is like you you have a very big impact on jewish history huge. You, you you don't you don't realize it we don't realize it but it it's it's huge it's so much bigger than we can even imagine so thank you so much for doing that because that's you know we owe it to you and rabbi singer and people like you and i i'm hoping that there's are, are there are, are there people like you who are like because obviously rabbi singers getting up there in age are, are the do you guys train others to kind of be counter missionaries because i feel like in the religious world there isn't it's a missing yeah it's like a missing elements right like people don't really find this to be a problem because mm-hmm. it maybe because it you're not you're not feeling an immediate um impact from it so you kind of brush it up mm-hmm. oh someone else will handle it someone else will deal with it um you know like like the guy like the Haredi guy who hands the book you know oh, this is, or listen to this tape you know that's that's people's reaction they don't they don't they're not equipped a lot of it has to do with, in the religious world, you know, a lot of Jews are not familiar with Tanakh. They don't want to deal with these problems. Um, that's a separate issue. I won't tell
1: Rabbi Singer that you said he's getting old.
0: Adam Aaveh Srim. We hope he's going you know, really to be here a long right. time. But we need people like him, and we hope that there are other people Please, being, God. being trained to do this job, uh, because it's so, it's so important. And what I want to really um, end on is your organization. Uh, because, you know, you were responsible for uncovering missionaries who lived outwardly as Haredi Jews, such as the Elk family. I want to talk about them or if you have any other ones uh, before we go. And if you can just give us some background on this, um, because I, I can't imagine, you know, uh, someone who's dressed as an ultra-Orthodox Jew is coming to my shul and so integrated, like the Elk family, like the, the, this person was a, was a Mohel, and he was, he was a, you know, doing circumcisions. He, he was a rabbi. He was, I don't know if he was, was he a shochet also? He was a
1: kohen, he was a sofer, he was...
0: And like, I, I feel like my my BS meter is pretty, you know, sharp that I could I could catch on, but you, you gotta be really, really good to just know know that really well-prepared to know all the lingo and to integrate into that world so seamlessly and get to such a high position. So like, can you explain how that happened? And there's other cases of that as well.
1: Yeah. Um, first, the work that Rabbi Singer does is, is so important. And um, he's really focused on the Christian world and the Jews that are um, in the Christian world bringing Jews that are there back to Judaism and in countering the texts and showing the, uh, the contradictions in, in the, uh, new, Te- from the new Testament to Tanakh and why Jesus doesn't fulfill that, uh, Benenu's role has been mostly, uh, just saying, you know, from my own experience and being a missionary myself uncovering the agenda and trying to educate the Jewish world. I don't work in the Christian world at all whatsoever. My, I feel like my mandate and, and my um, reason for starting Binenu is to educate the Jewish world and to expose the agenda in both um, evangelical Christianity and uncovering these Really deceptive tactics that we're seeing. And we talked about how the Messianic movement began with incorporating Jewish symbols and icons. And it is only amped up as the Christian world feels they're closer and closer to the end times, which I don't even think we brought about why they target the Jews. Which the reason they target the Jews is they believe that it is the conversion of a Jew that will bring about the second coming of Jesus. And as we get closer and closer, they feel there's such a desperate need. And they feel that Orthodox Jews are an unreached people group. You can Google that term, unreached people groups. And they call it a 1040 window, the most, the least missionized people in the world. And we're the least missionized people in the world because we tend to seclude ourselves isolate ourselves separate ourselves we have we you know um have private schools we have communities we insulate ourselves from uh, that influence so the only way to target and and uh, encounter a religious jew is to get inside and in order to do that they have amped up the messianic movement to such a level that you're seeing things like el cohen and uh, we've had exposed many others and you ask the way they do that it is it is something they're committed to long term um he started and went through this process many many years there's ones that we just exposed not long ago that uh we're doing this for much less years but they begin in America. And a lot of times the entry is through Chabad. And um, a lot of people are critical about the rabbis who allow this or fall for this, but there are a lot of really good, um, kind-hearted, outreach-focused rabbis out there um, who want to help every Jew. And if you come in and say you're a Jew, no matter what your background is, those kind of um, outreach type rabbis are taken advantage of because they're going to help you and they're going to do everything they can to help you. Um, so if you come in and say you're a Baal Tshuva, they they help and yep. you, become, you become part of the community and you learn and then you start learning Dafyomi with the rabbi and then you move to another community And you name drop some of the Jews you know from the other community. And as you move, and you'll notice in every covert missionary situation, they've moved several times. Um, The Dawson's were like 10 states that we had had, uh, spread the whole investigation through. And as you name drop and build this false narrative, your your Jewish identity just gets stronger and stronger. And in the case of El Cohen and a couple of the others, each place they went to, they had some story or some way that they obtained another Jewish document, a, a get, a, uh, you know, um, a uh, El Cohen was, you know, building up titles and certifications in the Jewish world. And I think at, you asked, how does that happen? Um, you know, even now when when a religious Jew comes into the shul and, you know, most, most shuls will give you an aliyah when, you know, if you're a guest visiting for the first time. We don't ask, are you a Jew? And we don't ask them to prove that they're a Jew when they come in. Um, and a lot of times if they're going to a a religious school we we do need to start asking especially when they're uh, trying to come into the schools but who ever thought that a christian missionary was going to go to a smicha program <laughs>
2: yeah crazy. if you to apply
1: definitely. to a smicha program they're not asking you if you're to prove that you're jewish it's it was not even a question until now
0: it's crazy because like the level of commitment they have to like, doing all these mitzvot and living that life. It's like mm-hmm. a lot of Jews can learn a lot from that. If and, we had that enough, kind of commitment. That, um, yeah. yeah. It's crazy to live that kind of thing. Right. So how did, how did you bust this family? Because it's a very sensitive issue because if you're wrong and if you, and you come out too early and you don't have enough evidence, then you ruin the whole family's life. You know, that, that there's, there's a lot of uh, guilt that will come with that and, and pain. So how did you know, like, okay, this is it, that we have it, we know for a fact, and now we're ready to expose them?
1: Absolutely. Um, that was a case that we had been building for, for quite a while. Um, and it was somebody on my team who had recognized that these were actually somebody that we had known in the past who gave was forced to give a full conversion in written, in writing and uh, and verbally, because they had been caught before, and that was in 2014. And at that time, Elk had said, "I, I'm, I want to do tshuva," and in the Jewish world, that's a sacred word, and everybody should have the ability to do tshuva. And said that I didn't want to. I don't want to live a double life anymore. Um, so they gave a full confession, and went back to to living their life assuming that they had really done shuva. Um, until somebody on our team said, wait a minute, they've got two profiles and she's sick now and she's building funds and she's she's got a profile in the Christian world building funds there and the Christ, a a profile in the Jewish world. She so said, we bet this is, I bet they're back to the same thing. And they never really, really left. And sure enough, we Uh, had plenty of evidence very quickly. You know, he was brave enough to have gone on Christian TV um, preaching about Jesus and and living as a covert missionary. He wrote a book uh, about living as a covert missionary among the Orthodox. And it, uh, it didn't take long before there was a mountain of evidence. And the journalists that we have been working with the burden of proof is very high. There are a lot of things that were not published because, you know, to me it was damning. It was it was very um, it was a smoking gun, but it wasn't enough for the legal department of the paper to print. So there was um, there's not a single statement in in the paper that does not have a mountain of evidence to to support that statement behind it. And it does, it have you have to be absolutely right. Um, one of them, I actually fought and said, there's no way this can't be. And I was the, I was the worst critic and, and wanted to give them the, the benefit of the doubt because it was a family that I was personally involved with and I just couldn't believe it, but, uh, it did it. I, uh, it turned out they were and found pictures of them, uh, you know, in some of the other cases and it all fell apart
0: yeah as as you're living a double life usually what happens from what i'm hearing about a lot of these stories is that you you actually become more bold with your um you know open like you kind of you're kind of like leaving breadcrumbs everywhere because you feel like hey i haven't been caught till now i can i can be a little bit more bold about it and then like i can start getting away with and that's that's how they missionize but at the same time that's how they get caught mm. so um, right so that i think that happened with this case as well Correct? with
1: elk yes he got more and more brave enough that he was living two lives and he was in the jewish world um, acting as a sofa and a mohel and uh, teaching but in the christian world he was he was opening up a yeshiva and was giving messianic smicha. What's not in the papers and what you don't know and was one of those things that didn't print was that he had also been doing conversions and there are conversion documents that have been accepted by the state of Israel for Aliyah. And there are at least 10 more families that were in the process of trying to find and expose that made Aliyah with conversion documents by ELK.
0: did he drop the cohen because obviously if everyone knows he's a convert now uh, he can't be a a cohen i think
1: he's still he's still going by el cohen but he did shave his beard he's no longer masquerading as a religious jew his kids are not in religious schools now um so and i think it's very difficult to retroactively revoke somebody's citizenship sure um so the government has not done that But I think in other ways, we have really um, sounded the alarm bells and really woken up the Jewish community enough that uh, we have a hotline, we have a a email, we have a website to report things, and I'm inundated with reports all the time. So I I do see that people's eyes are opened, they are concerned, um, and this is on their radar which in the past has not been, and it's, it's a good thing.
0: It is an amazing thing. Thank you so much for making this happen. Uh, this was unbelievable. And uh, we're gonna hopefully spread it around to as many people as we can. Yeah. And we're telling our listeners now, please share this with people. You might not think this is a, an issue that directly affects us, but it does. So uh, thank you so much. And Keep up uh, the
2: good work. Yes. Your story uh, is an incredible inspiration. And uh, we hope that anybody listening, um, you know, everyone within their own situations and its own context, but anybody listening should uh, acquire strength through your story uh, to be able to face challenges, um, to be able to strive let, for truth. Strive for truth, and and I think that as as we get older, and you know, when you have a family and and, and your friends and community, uh, the search for truth becomes less. Because you're more, you're kind of already set in your ways. Set in your ways. You're in your, you know, um, you uh, you were able to overcome that, and that is incredible. Um, and we hope that anybody listening will be inspired through that um, to be able to renew their search search for truth. And uh, regarding the work that you do, it's just incredible. And we will try our best to spread the word and do good things.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All the best. Awesome.
1: Bye. Bye Bye-bye.